0: Good morning. Welcome to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. I'm delighted. I got Sharma Charma Influence Little, you know, the inaugural New Haven Poet Laureate. How are you? Good morning.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Miss Babs. I'm I'm beautiful. I can't complain at all.
0: You look great. I'm glad you moved a little bit so so it didn't look like you was in the witness protection program. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I had to turn on some lights and where well, I'm normally sitting in my office in the dark, no lights, you know, this is my writing space. So.
0: Oh, I, I can appreciate that. And it looks like a good writing space at that. Yes. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about you. Are you, are you a New Havener? Are you born and raised in New Haven or are you from other parts?
1: No, ma'am. Um, I was born in Yale, uh, Yale New Haven hospital. Um, I was born in Franklin street. Well, the original Franklin Street projects, the original Farnham Court's been changed twice. Um uh I moved away for a little uh, for a little while. My father was um part uh, part owner and worker for Popeye's chicken. So we opened up a bunch of stores around Connecticut. So we worked I lived up in the Hartford area for a couple of years, then I came back home and I grad up graduating high school in Hamden, but I've been a resident of New Haven for the rest of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you're you're a nurse by but- Calling, right?
1: Uh yes, ma'am. Um, you know, uh because of my my background uh in my family, even from my grandmother, my grandmother was known to feed and take care of people in the whole community. Um, I watched her do that. Then I watched my dad do it from behind the counter of Popeyes taking care of people. So it's kind of embedded in me to uh to be for the community. Um, so uh I moved up the ranks I just decided in what my early 30s that I, I I wanted to be a nurse. I was a milieu counselor and PCA for Yale Psych Hospital. And then I went to go be a nurse at that time. Um so yeah. So when, and but I'm also a I'm a community nurse. So I don't I don't work on units. I work in the community. Um, I go home to home doing wound care um for people and trying to keep keep them out of the hospital and education and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, some days I'm talking to people all day, and some days I got my hand in wounds all day. So,
0: ooh, that's a, that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot. And so, so you're married. And you have how many children? Tell me about Two. your wife and children.
1: Uh, I've been with my wife since I was 16 years old.
0: Oh my, I how old was, are you now?
1: I'm 48. Okay,
0: all right.
1: So, um, yeah, we uh we were high school sweethearts. It was funny because uh, my dad is an intricate part of my life, so um, at a young age, I was dating older women and my dad was like, nah, I can't have this. So he said, I got somebody I want you to meet. Um, there's actually a poem on YouTube of my father's story that I did, but he said, I got somebody I want you to meet. And, uh, he introduced me to her. And from that point on, um, she went from my girlfriend to my wife, uh, have two beautiful girls, 23 and 19. Um,
0: wow. they're grown.
1: Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So they, uh, so yeah, it's beautiful. It's, being a girl dad is, whew, it, it it shows you how much a uh, how much of a hypocrite you may have been in your life.
0: <laughs> okay, you got you got to give me a little more than that. <laughs> I think I know what you mean, but give us a little something, I mean, a little bit more. You,
1: you know, um, coming up coming up in the '90s and stuff like that, and raised in, in the lady in in the in the '80s and in, in the '90s. Um, uh, what they labeled as toxic masculinity with men, the way men treated women and, you know, having, um, trying to have multiple women, you know, I, even though I was, I was married at 20, I went through my, my ups and downs in life with, you know, first of all, being with the same young lady for so long, it made me, when I was younger, it made me feel like that I was missing out on other things. So there were some indiscretions and stuff like that. But then when you have daughters, you realize uh nah i don't want that to happen to my girls like you don't want that type of thing to happen and go out so it kind of makes you a hypocrite from the aspect of your mindset at that point in time and now your mindset for your daughters because you don't want the same thing that you did for your daughters mm. um so it's almost like god has a way of of punishing you and setting you straight um <laughs> because you know i mean you would go fist to cuff for something to happen to your daughters but you don't want nobody to say nothing to you about the dirt you done did. Like, so, um, yeah, that's what I'm referring to.
0: That's a, you know what, but that's a, that, that's a, a, maturity. That's a growth. I would call that a growth. If you can recognize that, right? Like if you could mm-hmm. see that, that's a, yes, I ma'am. think that's a, that's a, what do the kids call it? A stitch. That's a stitch. A growth. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. So, so when did you come to poetry?
1: Um, again, um, my dad started me when I was, uh, first of all, when I refer to my dad, I want to make it clear, uh, because people from the city may may, may know me. And when I refer to my dad, I'm talking about Joseph Springfield, I'm talking about the man my mother married, um, who was my dad from the age of 12. Um, uh, he was a mason, a very, uh, very intelligent man. He he wouldn't let me go outside during the week, during school time for him. School time was education time. I read the dictionary and things of that nature. Um, had tests with him in school. I was able to go outside on Saturday and Sunday. It wasn't like he was extremely strict. And you know, I was able to go outside and do things on the weekend. He gave me whatever I wanted. Um, if I didn't have it within that week, I had it within that month. Um, but he was very big on education. And then to add to that, I had a teacher named Mrs. Vernon and Nathan Hell. I was bused from Franklin Street Projects to Nathan Hale School in East Haven as of the, the integration type of bus programming thing. That uh, And this lady would come into the projects and pick me up and take me to her house. She was my English teacher. And I kind of fell in love with words from those two situations. And then I, I would write poetry and stuff like that off and on. But remember, when I was coming up um, for a young black male to talk about he does poetry in school, he was a punk amongst other words they would call you. So it wasn't like I could be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a poet, like you can't now coming up in school. Now nah, you couldn't do that then because you would be called all kind of things. You would be called gay, you would be called whatever, and you would be fighting because they would think you soft. So I had to kind of be one way out in the street when I'm with my friends and then come home and be this a studious young man reading books and writing poetry.
0: Wow. So so when did you do your first public slam reading, sharing of your talent?
1: Um, the New Haven Public Library, there was a lady by the name of I, I to, um, years ago. She used to run out of the New Haven Public Library downtown, the main branch downtown. And that's where I met um, Bob Bidon. Uh, I met Bob there. And that was my first open mic experience. And then from that point, there was a time where sandra's was around the corner on state street and sandra's had an open mic at that time too and that's where i met Jay Sun, and uh brian baines and the rest of them um that that were here and that started me on my journey of, of spoken word and performance poetry
0: mm-hmm. and so what is it about spoken word and performance poetry that you like like what I mean, everybody's got a thing that that speaks to them. What is what is it about this medium uh, that has that has captured your your spirit?
1: The fact that it's free, and it, when you when you when you read poetry, tomorrow literal poetry, academia poetry, it's normally it, it's a wonderful art, but it's set within bounds. And for so long, spoken word poetry was not respected as actual poetry when it is. The special thing about uh, spoken word poetry that is based out of free write and we use all the poetic tools to paint that actual picture. We use double entendres, metaphors, so forth and so on to paint the picture. Um, And what I love about it is it's. Us, like it's me. I speak with my hands and my body and you can see everything that I'm going through from my facial expressions, the influx in my voice. There's no monotone. So all these different tools of what makes spoken word so attractive to me and and gave me an actual voice. You know, all the things that my dad had me reading and I was in class challenging teachers and challenging things like that. Now I have an actual voice that I can talk about those things and, um, and I can use my body and not be called overly aggressive because I'm a young black man using my body being six, two, I've always been a big dude being six, two and over 300 pounds. um, I'm able to just be me.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so you, you, you get introduced to this medium and then you start to thrive in it.
1: Well, it took some time. Um, As as beautiful as my career looks now, that's how much I struggled early on. Uh, this is 20 years in the making. Uh, 20 years in the making of traveling. I try to tell all young poets, it was like, well, how did you get to this space? And how did you do this? Well, I did it by uh, due diligence, blood, sweat, tears, the part that people don't want to know in poetry, long nights, crying over poems, uh, dealing with your trauma, and bringing these things out and then hitting the road and continue to open up those cuts all the time and getting it out until you're able to deal with it, uh, all across the country. I mean, there was times that I would say, Oh, I, I want to get known. I want people to know who I'm in Virginia. So we will ride to Virginia and have just enough money to get to the, to get back into Connecticut with the, uh, enough money for the last toll to get back into Connecticut, come back broke just to, uh, Ooh. just so have my name, known so people would know who who influence was you know um that's why slam poetry which is the competitive part of spoken word is so was so important and intricate in my career
0: so when did you discover slam poetry because i'm a i you know i i like a lot of people came to oh. slam poetry like way before deaf slam poetry like right. way before that because i'm 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 60 so so i remember oh. a spoken word in places and spaces where people were just starting to sort of get a vibe for, like the New Eureka and places like that. Like people were just starting to get a vibe for this medium. You know, it was new, it was exciting. I don't think it was terribly new, because I think people were always sort of, uh, I mean, Gil Scott-Heron and all these other cats was always the last post. They was always, you know, uh, out there performing this stuff. But it, it didn't come personal uh, until many, many, Many many years later. So so so, what is it about slam? Because that is a very specific kind of performance that 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 you like. Do you like the competition aspect of it? I mean, you know.
1: Um, in some cases, it's a double edged sword because at one at one point you teach young people that the poetry is about you. And then on the other hand, you're letting other people, random people, judge your work and tell you how good they think it is, or or oh. or, 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 or or how it or how it touched them. Um, slam Slam was imp- well. to answer your first question: When I came into Slam, it was because of what's happening on the 15th on Monday at the Peabody Museum. The uh, now the Annette Lewis. Dr. Martin Luther King Environmental Poetry Slam that's where I first fell in love with Slam because we had, at that time I was a new poet, not even close to being ready, but my friend Quallo, my friend Conscious and Yaba Ibo Mandingo and Queen Sheba and all of them were coming down and they were performing and I wanted to get involved in it and um, Mrs. Annette Lewis would never, because it was invitational, so Mrs. Annette Lewis would never let me in at that time and I was like man, I'm out here performing. I'm good enough. Not knowing that if I would have gotten that set, I'd embarrass embarrassed myself and got completely slaughtered by the caliber of poets that was on stage at that time. Um, but I fell in love with it and after a while, I kept practicing, kept getting better, kept letting myself be seen to where uh, rest in peace um, when Miss Lewis passed away and Goma picked up the mantle and kept it going and I got a phone call from him and started doing it then, but I was also part I was a five to six time member of the verbal slap uh, slam team, which I am now the coach of. And I picked up the mantle now to give younger poets and newer poets the opportunity to slam and get known internationally. Because that's how I made my name. I made my name through slam. I made my name through winning slams, being part of the verbal slap slam team, going from because every year nationals used to move. So it would be in New Orleans one year, North Carolina this year. Um and that's how we got our name to be known amongst other poets. That Connecticut really got some poets, really got some work down here. So slam was really intricate in in that aspect.
0: And, and do we do we does Connecticut have a, a strong poetry community?
1: So we have a strong poetry poetry community, but we don't have it can be stronger, but we don't have a strong slam community. So mm. I'm trying to bring Connecticut is. When I was coming up, Connecticut was a very revolutionary type poet base, right? Um, Now, it's a combination of everything from revolutionary to emotional to PTSD trauma to all kind of things now. But the slam aspect of I'm trying to refurbish. So you have a handful of poets that are really chasing slam real hard, like some of the ones that are that made the team. So you got Goddess Tamani Rain, you have... Phil Alexander, you have Yex, uh, Yexandra, goes by Yex, from here in New Haven. Yeah, we now, love Yex.
0: I, yes. I love so, when I see her. <laughs> yeah, so
1: so Yex, so Yex is on the team. Also, um, my longtime partner with Verbal Flat, Michael Chief Peterson, who was the New Britain poet laureate uh, for some time. So um, we have those. So the mantle is back up, and you have another team nationals is no more but there's another poetry venue called southern pride and that moves around too but this is how we know that connecticut have good poets that is a southern based uh competition slam competition where about 40 or 50 teams converge from the south to compete well we were going down there in the south and nationals and we were laying the words down on stage to where they approached us and was like yo Y'all pretty good. Like, why don't y'all try coming out to Southern Fry? Connecticut was the furthest north they had came to <laughs> to, to even invite him down there. So we we went down there in our first our first outgoing, we uh we missed final stage by one tenth of a point. So we went out there and we showed out down there again. So yeah, so they keep inviting us back.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. So so it's a dream, uh Charmant to to have a, a slam here in Connecticut on that level or?
1: I would, I would love to. So I do a slam every year, uh, called, um, the underground poetry slam is I created it through my LLC. It's called the underground. I put up a thousand dollars for individual poets. I put up a thousand dollars in my own money and I call poets from all over, uh, the East coast. So, And we have some of the top poets come down in battle for the money. So that's probably the biggest slam outside of the MLK slam that we have in this area. And would I like it to be bigger? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to get more poets further South and other places to come down as well, because that's also invitational because people pay to come see this. Right. So I want to make sure that not only uh, is it, fine poetry i want to make sure it's going to be a good show so i make sure that it's poets that i i have to respect as well and, and and know that regardless of who wins it's going to be a dynamite show
0: so tell me about um so you know my dear friend bestie uh ife gardine who does elm city lit fest looked around the landscape and says huh new Haven doesn't have a poet laureate New Haven have a Poet Laureate. Now, she talked about this for about two years trying to figure out, like, how do we make this happen, who we need to talk to? And of course, she, of course, Ife being the force of nature that she is, she just connected the dots and voila, we we have a competition for Poet Laureate. We have a a bona fide competition because everywhere we go, New Britain has one and Hartford has one. Everybody has one. Connecticut has one. Everybody has one. Um, you know, I know Marilyn Nelson, who was a Connecticut poet laureate once upon a time. Uh, I know the sister from, uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of folks who, who have done it from other places, but new Haven just seemed to miss the mark. So we have this competition, a, 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 a bunch of y'all get together, a bunch of y'all are, are, throw your hat in the ring and, and one person, uh, rises to the top and it is you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's funny I have been poking around asking the question of how do we get a Poet Laureate for New Haven for probably about two years. Probably Me and Miss Ife, Ife was probably doing the same thing, but didn't know each other. But didn't know I'm each like, other.
0: <laughs> right. Because I'm like, all
1: my friends are becoming Poet Laureate. My man, Josh Urban Nerd, out of New London. Frederick Douglas Knows out of Hartford. I mean, all my, my friends are, are chief in New Britain. All my friends are becoming, I'm like, yo, when, how can we get one here or whatever? Then I'm Getting a little piece of information here, a little piece of information there. Then all of a sudden, I hear uh, Miss Ife was was trying to head up to to do it, and um, I got a message in my inbox saying, um, "You need to you need to uh, submit for poet laureate." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And so I I, I threw my hat in the ring, um, but I was consulting with some of my friends, and they were telling me. Um, they were giving me the support, telling me, you know, you've been doing the poet laureate thing for years on your own, and mm. it was like um, they they kind of was like, yo, you kind of deserve the title, so put your hat in there and go for it, you know. um I'm always nervous as when I first met you and we had our conversation in Liberia. And you asked me did I have a book, and I told you I never thought I was good enough to write a book, and you treated me as a son, a little brother, as you should have, and you was like, "What are you talking about?" Now I've heard about you. you. You, what are you talking about? Um, so, what's me starting my journey on writing my book? Um, so, again, every time I see you, thank you for that. Um,
0: of course, listen, you have such a compelling story, and it's such an inspiration. And and young people are looking at you, like young people are looking at you. I mean, one, you're a nurse, so that you know that's that's his own shine. Uh, the fact that you're a married man with grown children and committed to your community, that's another beautiful shine. And now you're the inaugural poet laureate. Um, and, and I'm seeing you around, I'm seeing you in spaces, you know, I'm seeing you, you're elevating this, this poetry, this love for poetry. Like you are literally elevating it in spaces that it wouldn't be in if it wasn't for you.
1: I mean, I, I appreciate it. Just like I tell everybody, um, poetry is, in is- I write poetry for for me, uh, for my questions, for my my concerns, for my doubts, and it just so happens to entertain other people in the process. Um, I, I I don't do it for whatever accolades I get. Um, the the most important thing to me about poetry is that my mother, my wife, and my children, my family could walk the city of New Haven, and whenever they enter in, and uh, have interactions with anyone as long as they have nothing bad to say about me and they walk away with something <laughs> positive i've already won you know for my mother to keep her head high when she walked through for me to be able to have her sit at the mayor inauguration and me deliver a poetic address and she hear people talking about me at the community center the dixwell q house and and she can walk out proud as a peacock to say that's enough reward for me um period
0: so so who do you like? Who do you who do you read? Are you reading poetry? And and do you go? i I know you go see other poets. Like I know you're probably always checking for other poets. How how does um, that work for you? Uh, I am a fan
1: of um, Maxine Hughes, of Nikki Giovanni. I am a fan of James Baldwin. Uh, which will be will we we will be doing the James Baldwin celebration with Miss Efe soon. Um, but I also like today's poets um, in the variety. Uh, one of my, one poet that I like is uh, Black Chakra in his style, uh, Talam AC, which I, I know. I know I Talam talk, yeah. AC. Yeah. So I, and yes. I, talk, so I talk to Salam. Um, and some of my favorite poets are local poets, poets that I can call on the phone, um, that I do call on the phone and be like, listen, I got this poem. What do you think about it? So we're talking about uh, Ayaba Ibo Mandingo. We're talking about, um, and hill. So, uh, I have, those are the poets that I read. I have their books and those are the poets that I follow. And there's a plethora of other poets that I read, but those are some of my favorites.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, so, I mean, this seems like a huge advocation of time and commitment. How do you, how do you fit it all in? <sighs>
1: um, I got people right now, uh, Shout out to Zania and Miss Ife. Shout out to my wife because my schedule is so crazy between being a nurse, um, performing poetry myself, having a, being a curator of events on top of having a clothing line based from my poetry, doing all these things. My schedule is all over the place. So shout out to, uh, to my wife. She really holds down my schedule. She knows my schedule better than I do, actually. Um, but I just keep going. I can't explain it. Miss Ife. Miss Ife first met me. And the first thing she said to me, she said, brother, you need somebody to help you. She was like, I don't, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I can't explain. I was always told if someone told you how to do it, they never really did it. Um,
0: ah.
1: So I, I, I can't explain how I do it. I just know one thing my dad always taught me. He said, you always stay positive, progressive and always keep moving. Always keep moving. And so that's what I try to do.
0: So, in this role as the inaugural New Haven Pub Poet Laureate, the first, uh, what, what do you what do you want to do in this role? And and it's a two year commitment. Two year commitment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what it's do you want to do with group. this? I want to present spoken word to youth to give them and people, period, to let them understand that it's a. It's an art form that can give you a voice. It's an art form that can expire, inspire. I want to start having venues and shows here in New Haven so people don't have to say they have to go to New York or they have to go to Boston or somewhere. That That's one of my main reasons for wanting to start the venues that I've started, the slams and stuff that I've done here already, including the R&B and poetry show that I do every year called um, Lyrical Haven uh, that, I, that I put on. Uh, I want to, as Miss Eva said, I want to set a precedent, and hopefully the next Poetry Laureate can keep some of these things going. Like we're supposed to be able to get City Hall for a poetry venue, and I want to do it bi-monthly because I'm so busy. My, the time frame I see I could do it is bi-monthly, and I would like that to be a space that the next poet Laureate could automatically go into and run the venue and make it their own identity or what have you for the city. So there is an ongoing open mic for the city created by the Poet Laureates that uh, come after me as well. So that is going to be, uh, that title when we get it done and get everything laid out, um, it's going to call Elm City Flow is the I name like. that I have for it. Elm City Flow. So yeah, I, I, I just want to elevate poetry in, in all aspects in, in education and mm-hmm. entertainment.
0: So I take it you're going to be at the MLK, Zanette Lewis Peabody annual <laughs> slam, Environmental <Day>. slam. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know I'm going to be here because
1: two of my uh, two of my teammates. When I was supposed to perform in it. Um, me and two of my other teammates from the old from the older teams. We were supposed to perform. We have pieces that we wrote that we haven't performed as a team. Um, but I didn't have the time to. Go, I have the pieces in my computer, I sent it to him, but when I realized I had all these other things coming up, lined up, I didn't have the time. And that's one thing I'm a little upset about, but I didn't have the time. So I will be there, but I will not be performing. Uh, but uh, two of my friends will be Chief, Michael Chief Peterson and Abiyose Cole will be performing. But I will be there in attendance to, to cheer on the poets.
0: I love it. I love it. All right, so... So you have that. You're working on a book, book of poetry, a chapbook. What?
1: Uh, it's it's a it's a book of poetry. It's kind of poetry and like memoir. So certain certain parts of the book are going to be explaining where that group of poems came from. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's going to be poems about my mother, about family. It's uh, kind of like a small memoir about what that particular poem came from, what my mindset was. Um, so it's going to be going to be very candid. Uh, and hopefully people can grab something from it and, and learn something, if not just be entertained by the words that's there.
0: I tell you, I I, I still think hair braiding is probably one of my <laughs> most favorite poems that I've ever heard done by anybody any, anywhere in the world. And wow. and I like a lot of poetry. I mean, I, I, I fancy myself a poet. I've been a poet since I could read and write. But it is one of my most favorite Poems because it wow. speaks volumes about culture and blackness and family. It's just it's such a beautifully done um, um, poem, and I'm sure every time you do it, people are like, "Wow!" You know,
1: they are. Um, in some cases, I almost get tired of doing it because no matter where I go in the world, they ask me do braiding hair. Whether they whether they see it on YouTube as a video or Instagram or wherever they uh, they uh, I'm asked I'm asked to do it. Um, I love it when 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 the piece came about. It was actually created for um, for slam, and it was created initially as a group piece between me and Michael Chief Peterson, but we both had something in common. So when you're on a slam team, you grab another member and you be like, okay, what do you have in common that we can write a group piece together? And me and Chief had the fact that we had daughters in common, and so I formulated the base of the piece. He added his pieces. We made it a group piece, which is also a dynamite piece to see me and him perform that together. Um, But then I took it and I took away his pieces and I extended mine and made it strictly about my daughters and and how I braided hair. So the whole concept I had, I came up with trying to find out what was my connection with my daughter. So it's also a self-reflection piece to find out how when did I have the most pertinent conversations with my daughter? It was when I was doing your hair. Um, And the funny, like I said, the funny story is that I started doing the hair because uh, my wife had work days at budget rent a car, and I would have the kids because I work night. So, uh, my oldest, I would do her here. We had to go somewhere. So, I think I'm doing something, you know. I'm slicking it back, putting a little rubber band around and everything. And she says nothing. She's about, she's about five. She says nothing. We get to my wife's job, and she's, mommy, mommy, look at my hair. I'm like, you know, why you didn't say nothing to me at home? Like, I could have, if you ain't like... <laughs> so, um... So my wife at that point actually took me and she helped me with my connection with them because she was like, okay, this is how you do a simple braid, this is how you do a simple ponytail. Because she's also a cosmetologist besides working for the university, um, she's a licensed cosmetologist. So she taught me how to braid, and so from that point it was just you know there's videos of me out there with you know a clump of sulfur eight on the back of my hand and I'm parting it. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I still that do my is, work that here is, That day. is so
0: black. I love it. <laughs> that is just, that's just us. That is so us. That's so yeah. us. So, so before I let you go, tell me what inspires you. Where do you take your inspiration from?
1: Ms. Bell, I take my inspiration from life, from people. Um, I take my inspiration really to hope to hope that my people could be better, that we can be better, that we can, that the opportunities, if you read a lot of my poetry or you listen to a lot of my poetry, it has a lot to do with our people and in our neighborhoods and coming up. My the, my inspiration is the hope that we can be afforded the same opportunities as everyone else without having to jump 30 different hurdles when they only have to jump one. Um, my daughters are inspirations. You know, they've, they've made me change as my outlook on life Everything from LGBTQ, uh everything from just being the father. So my inspiration comes from a lot of things people, family, community. Mm. Now you now now, now <laughs> you and Miss Ife, because you you and Miss Ife are some dynamite sisters. I'm like, yeah, everyone should have an auntie like y'all. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. So I'm going to challenge you to write an auntie poem. I need an auntie poem. I need my own auntie poems. I can tattoo it on my back or whatever. I want an auntie poem. You can give us an auntie poem. No pressure. <laughs> <Just now. laughs> it has been a pleasure talking to you, Shema. I'm so Thank glad you. you could make time to, to come on this morning. Uh, I am so proud and so delighted that you are the New Haven Inaugural Poet Laureate. It is just what the city needs, and you are such a fine representative. And uh, and I, I'm cheering for you, and as soon as you finish that book, you can come back on the show, and we're going to talk about it.
1: Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Say hi to everybody at the house, and uh, and I'll see you out here in these slam streets.
1: Yes, ma'am. You will.
0: All right. You will. Thank you. Thank yes, you ma'am. Very God much.
1: bless.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So. our new haven poet lord harry before we go uh i have to shout out the uh the links before i go can you just give me a few minutes harry (laughs) just just a few minutes only because you know uh uh i needed to uh january is uh stop trafficking awareness month january is national slavery and human trafficking prevention month and, uh, and, you know, I did this last year for the links, and they asked me to do it again. So it's a PSA. I'm going to read it and then, and then I'm going to go on about my business. Do you know someone who was a victim of human trafficking? Human trafficking is a form of modern day slavery with illegal smuggling and trading of people for forced labor and or sexual and physical abuse. This is a worldwide problem as well as well. It is a worldwide problem and it's also a problem in Connecticut. Traffickers target people, both boys and girls, who are vulnerable to promises of a better life and enforcing them, and then forcing them to live and work in unfair and abusive conditions. Many traffickers are well-known, living near us, and promising and convincing young people and families that their children would have a better life in a new place. Under the United States federal and Connecticut state laws, human trafficking is a crime. It's a crime. So let's work together to protect our children against these horrific crimes. If you are a victim or you know someone who is a victim of human trafficking, or if you would like to learn more about this serious issue in our society, contact Love 146 at 203-772-4420. That's 203-772-4420. We need your help. And y'all enjoy MLK Weekend. Uh, take in all the uh, all the exhibits and celebrations. Be contemplative uh, about those words and tune in if you want to hear the speeches in in their entirety. Uh, we will be playing them from nine to eleven on Monday. So I'll see y'all. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> <laughs>